welcome to the podcast of the Believer's Bible Class, a part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Each week we share the Bible lesson from our longtime teacher, Doug Brady. Doug has studied the biblical scriptures throughout his life and is knowledgeable in both ancient Greek and Hebrew, which makes his explanations of scripture all the more interesting and most certainly all the more accurate. Professionally, Doug is an attorney, although he considers his Bible teaching as his godly profession. Our study of the book of Daniel is continuing, and today we continue in the ninth chapter of this major Old Testament prophecy and history book. Last week, class teacher Doug Brady opened this ninth chapter with a short introduction, and now we get into the meat of this chapter. Here we have one of the most moving prayers in the Bible. Daniel, now an old man, is praying for Babylon and for the restoration of this great city and people. Should we not do the same for our country in these perilous times? Doug discusses the contents of this prayer and then brings a challenge to each of us that will culminate in the next lesson next week. Be sure to have your Bible open to the ninth chapter of Daniel as we begin. The Believer's Bible Class is part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. The Believer's Bible Class meets every Sunday morning at 9.15 in LaVorne Hall, located on the lower level of the new Worship Center building. We invite you to join us if you're ever in the area. Well, Doug is at the podium ready to begin this lesson, so here is our longtime teacher and my good friend, Doug Brady. Today, we're going to start something that we won't be able to finish today. And if you remember, we're studying the book of Daniel, and we're in Daniel chapter 9. And we're going to talk about something called the prayer. A lot of people just refer to it as the prayer. But the last time we met, we tried to introduce ourselves to this chapter 9 and what was going to be going on. And one of the things we talked about was the last four verses. And these last four verses are probably one of the most important prophecies in the Old Testament. Did you know, without these four verses, we wouldn't know how long the tribulation period was. Without these four verses, we wouldn't know where the Antichrist is coming from. Without these four verses, we wouldn't know about one of the most spectacular numerical prophecies anywhere in Scripture. We also wouldn't know when to start counting and when to stop counting. If you were to look at these four verses, you will see that they are an outline of the conclusion, the last seven years of the Jewish dispensation. Verse 24, we'll talk about the entire period remaining after the event that starts it, Daniel lays out. Verse 25 is going to talk about the first 483 years of, that remain in the Jewish dispensation. Chapter 26 is going to talk about a gap. Now, I, I know there's some people in this room that don't like to hear the word gap referred to anything in Scripture. But there is a gap between year 483 and when the last seven start. And then chapter, I mean, verse 27 is going to deal with that final 20, pardon me, that final seven years. And we need to look at that very, very carefully. Now, because of the greatness uh, of this prophecy, 
shouldn't we consider the preceding verses in this chapter to be just a preface or maybe a transition into this far-reaching prophecy? That would be something we might be able to think about it just as a build-up to get to this important set of verses, these four verses. But anybody who does that makes a serious, serious blunder. Because this portion of the chapter, it gives us a window into how Daniel chooses to enter the presence of God. I want you to think about this. When was the last time you really were in the presence of the Holy God? What do you have to do to get there? Daniel's going to share with us what he did, and we're going to see that it was confirmed by what God did. And we need to come to understand that. Now, you need to remember Daniel's in his 80s now, and very old. He's served a number of years. It's interesting Daniel was a bureaucrat. He wasn't elected. He was appointed. We tend to see those kinds of people in our nation today as non-preferables because they tend to be corrupt. Well, most of them in Daniel's day were corrupt. But Daniel was not. And we want to see what makes up a man like that. So... The first part of this chapter is going to involve a wonderful prayer that we're going to study this Sunday and next Sunday. But before we start today, let's ask God to bless this time that we're going to spend studying his word. Father, as we come to you today, I pray that you open our minds and give us great understanding of what it is your prophet is saying to us. At the same time, open our hearts so that we can understand these important principles that we need to see and come to understand. I pray that you will speak through me today, and it will not be my message, but yours. I pray that if there's things that I intended to say that you don't want said, that you'll block them from my mind. And I'll be open and listening to anything that you want me to say as we go through these important passages on prayer. Help us to understand what this kind of prayer really is. I pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, it seems to me that maybe an outline will help us to understand this prayer and the passage is talking about it. So let's look at this outline. Number one, you'll see in verse three, it's the preparation for prayer. Now, very few of us ever think you really need to do any preparation for prayer. You just pray. That's not the way Daniel looked at it. Number two, it's verses uh, four through ten. This is the confession of the nation's sin. Number three is verses 11 through 14, the recognition of God's judgment. And then finally, a plea for compassion and forgiveness that Daniel has. However, as I studied this prayer, there's something that seemed very unusual to me, I guess you would say. How can you know a promise of God before that promise was ever given to you? Now, there's a promise that most of us are familiar with. 
It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I want us to look at this. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. Now, wait a second. What's pestilence? No, not bugs. Plague. Uh, viruses, bacterial infections. I'm glad that we've gotten rid of all those things. We don't have anything like that in our country. If I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That's interesting here. Who's the sin that's being forgiven? Whose sin? His people. Now, that was written maybe around 485 B.C. by Ezra. When, was, when are we here in Daniel's life? 538. Do you think, see how far? And yet, it appears to me, as I study this prayer, Daniel knew this promise and is praying it and utilizing it. How can that be? Because the Holy Spirit informed him of it. He is having constant communication with God. And so he knows how to pray this promise for this reason. Now, I want you to look. Don, I have a question for you. If you look at this promise. D-O-N or D-A-W-N? I, didn't, I wasn't talking about the morning sun. I was talking about you. My favorite Amalekite. Is this promise unconditional or conditional? Conditional. Conditional. People praying up themselves. How many conditions are there? Let's see if we can go through these. What's the first one, Don? Uh, if you humble yourselves. Right? He was right. What's the second one? And pray. Pray to me. Third. Ah, oh, very good. Seek my face. Now there's one more. Turn from your wicked ways. And turn from your wicked ways. Yes, and I know who's probably more joint on that. But now, here's the key question. This is not just to Don, this is to anybody. Why doesn't he have turn from your wicked ways at the start? He can't do it without his help. He can't do it without God's help. If you're not humbling yourself, praying and seeking his face, you're never going to be able to turn from your wicked ways. That's key. You can't repent until the Holy Spirit gives you the power to repent from sin. Never can you repent from sin on your own. You cannot change. That's what it's, that is repentance. That's what he's saying. Turn. That's what repentance is. Changing your mind, it causes a change of action. Turning from what you used to do. And so this is what this promise says. And now Daniel is going to start praying this promise. And here's something that I think is important for us to understand as we start to look at this now. Did Daniel's land, did Daniel's nation need healing? Was Daniel's land or nation someone who received a special gift from God? Yes. Does the United States of America need healing? Did it start out as a special gift from God? Do you see how important this passage is 
for us. Let's continue. Starting in Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books of the number of years which were revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet, for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Now, the prophet Jeremiah predicted the fall of Daniel, I'm pardon me, the fall of Babylon, which Daniel had just witnessed, and it's predicted the number of years that Israel, and so we come to, we're going to look at five to six key principles today that I want you to see, and the first one is this, we must come to recognize the scripture is the only dependable source of truth. The scripture is the only dependable source of truth. What about your feelings? They can trick you. What about what professors teach us in school? What about what they tell us on the news? What about what they, the speeches from our politicians? Hmm. Now this is going to be a little iffy. What about our religious leaders? Now, many times they may tell us the truth. But it always is our job... And I stress our job to check it with the scripture. Because if it's different from the scripture, the scripture's right, and they're wrong. That's one of the reasons why we're a nation of priests. Now, the first principle we go on. In these days of rapidly changing ideals, morals, and situations, the unchanging word of God is our only dependable light in a darkening world and an unshakable foundation in troubled times. You know, Ann and Hayes invited Julia and I to sit at their table at the Criswell Gala last uh, Friday night. And there they spoke about Dr. Criswell and his most favorite verse in Isaiah. Flower withers and the grass fades away, but the word of the Lord will last forever. Did you know that when he was buried, his, uh, there was a Bible placed over his heart open to that exact passage? I didn't know that until Friday night. It's a special passage, but that's the first principle. Dr. Crystal proclaimed it from our podium and from our church forever. Now in verse 2 it says books. And there's many things that could uh, come from the way to interpret that. It could be, it's talking about Jeremiah and Lamentations. It could be, it's several of the divisions in the book of Jeremiah. Or it could be a number of other Old Testament books that Daniel had been collecting. But you notice this word, observed. It's observed in the New American Standard. It's I understood in the New King James. But what we need to understand is it means to perceive discern or consider it is in the perfect tense meaning completed action and we should understand it is Daniel came to learn or Daniel figured out he didn't know before but as he was reading this he figured out that the 70 years that Jeremiah promised for Babylon is also for Israel and his study of these scripture passages motivated Daniel to pray Remember what it says in verse 3? So I gave my attention to the Lord to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. 
Now, he's motivated to pray by the scriptures. And I want you to see this. So before he prayed, what did he do? He fasted. Well, can you do that in five minutes? No, fasting takes a little time, doesn't it? So is there, did he prepare to pray in five minutes? No. So he fasted. What else did he do to prepare for his prayer? He put on sackcloth. Ah, you begin to see the tie-in with the promise. First and second Chronicles seven fourteen. What's the first thing? Humble yourselves. Did Daniel humble himself? Absolutely. He did. Number two, as you look through this, the second principle, the scripture should motivate our prayer life. Why did Daniel enter into this season of prayer recorded in chapter nine? You look, it says, I, Daniel, observed in the books, and so I gave my attention to the Lord. Because of what he saw in the scriptures, he started praying. How often is your prayer time instigated or motivated by what you find in the scriptures? No, my prayer time is motivated by the requests I need to make for him. Isn't that what we do? That's what I do. Yep. If you look, uh, and Don's just being honest. And if everybody was being honest, they'd have said, yeah, Don's right, I know, because that's what I do. If you look in some of these other passages, you'll see this principle evidenced. Like in Ezra chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, it says, Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel on account of the unfaithfulness of the exiles gathered to me and sat appalled until the evening offering. But at the evening offering, I rose from my humiliation. In other words, he humbled himself. Even with my garment and robe torn, I fell on my knees and stretched out my hands to Yahweh Elohim. So he prayed because now in this instance here in Ezra, they didn't have an individual book everybody could read. There was only one scroll, but they read it in everybody's hearing, and that's how they all reacted. In Nehemiah, starting in chapter 8, you'll see it. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people when he opened it, and all the people stood up. And when they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day. And another fourth, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. So what, there was a joint Bible reading for how long? What's fourth of a day? Six hours. Six hours. Six hours. Can it really be six hours they stood there and listened to the reading? Well, after that six hours, everybody went home, got lunch and took a nap. No, what did they do? They prayed for another six hours. I'm just being completely honest, but I don't think I could do that. Uh, how long did your try last? <laughs> Julie? Barry told us about South Korea and that church and how they prayed. They have prayer meetings that starts at, at 12 midnight, finish about 5 or 6 in the morning. That's their commitment to pray. No, they clearly weren't Baptists are not American Baptists, but that's what they did. Now let's look at a third principle I want you to see. The godly man or woman needs to lead a balanced spiritual life. That is scriptural intake, intake of the scripture by various means, 
and the times of prayer must work together in the right kind of equilibrium. What am I saying? Someone who spends 18 hours a week reading the scriptures and 30 minutes a week praying, are they having a balanced equilibrium? Someone who spends 15 hours a week praying and 30 minutes a week studying the scriptures, do they have a balanced equilibrium? And yet, so many of us do that. We, we spend all of our time on one thing. Daniel was devoted to both the word of God and to the time he spent in prayer seeking God's presence. Sometimes we do things differently than that. Now let's look at a fourth principle. Serious prayer requires serious preparation. Let me tell you, when Daniel fasted, he fasted. Now I can't tell you how long he fasted before the prayer started in Daniel chapter 9. But I can tell you how long the prayer went in chapter 10 and when he was fasting during the time of his prayer, and that was three weeks. Here again, could I do that? I don't think I could. But who knows? But the power of the Holy Spirit. There's something else that I want you to see in, in this preparation. What does it say? It says in Daniel, so I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer. Now, do we know what prayer is? Prayer is t- talking to God and listening for God to talk to you. The other, another thing he mentioned there is fasting. Do we know what that is? For the most part, we do. The absence of the intake of food. What a sackcloth. Now, I'm not saying a sackcloth, he wore that privately. But it's like a burlap type covering that's not exactly comfortable. And ashes. You know, it would be one thing for my wife to wear sackcloth, but to have ashes all over and be dirty, I don't know how long she could take it. I could probably be dirty longer than Julie could. I think I'm better at that than she is. It's one of the few things I'm better at than she is, but be that as it may. But I skipped one. Did you see which one I skipped? Supplication. Well, we go by that. That's just prayer, right? Why would it say prayer and supplication? If they're just the same thing. Supplication is something that's interesting. Can anybody think of another verse in the Bible where that word occurs? Philippians 4, 6, and 7. In particular, Philippians 4, 6. Let's look at that just a second. And then I want to look at this word in the Greek. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication... With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Do you notice prayer and supplication? Now, this word, I think, is a very interesting word to try and understand. The Greek word is deesis. And deesis means a need or an indecence, a want, a privation, or a penury. A penury, I use a, I hate to admit this, but a King James lexicon, so that has these English words in it, some of them that we don't use that very often. But the first and primary meaning of that word supplication is a need, something you're deprived of. Now there's a secondary meaning to that word, 
in the Greek, and it's a seeking or an asking or an entreating. So what does this word really come to mean? It's where you seek or entreat someone who can provide a need or a privation that you have in your life. Does anyone in here have any needs that they would like God to, to, to fulfill? I think the only ones who are not being honest are the ones not raising their hands. But I want you to see that, that that's what this word means. And Daniel is going to him in prayer and supplication. Now, one of the things now with these uh, four uh, principles we've looked at, it indicates something that we need to see before, even before we get to this prayer. And we need to understand it's what we do. You see, what we do is we rush into God's presence. We pour out our requests. And in effect, we demonstrate to God our belief that worship in the presence of God Almighty is unimportant. That's what we, that's what we tell him. Worshiping you is unimportant. I'm here, I'm giving you my requests, and then I've got to go. That's what we do. Is that the way to go into the presence of Almighty God, the holiest of holy? Not at all. And yet, isn't that what we do so often? I see this in my life. This week has been a, an important week for me. Now, let's start this prayer uh, in the second part of the outline, confession. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turned aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke to your in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame. As it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all of Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds, which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of Yahweh our Elohim to walk in his teachings which he set before us through his prophet, through his servants, the prophets. Now, of this prayer, can this portion of confession is the longest part of the prayer. It's like half of this prayer is spent in confession. And I want you to see some things. Daniel was one of the most righteous men to ever live. If you read in Ezekiel, Daniel's put right there with Noah and Job. And he's not put at the end, he's put in the middle, so he's not considered an afterthought. Of the people referenced in the scripture for any length of time, like Daniel has been, never will you find one other than Jesus that it doesn't speak about their sin, except for Daniel. Does it talk about Noah's sin? Yeah, it does. Does it talk about Job's sin? Yes, it does. 
Does it ever say Daniel sinned? No. Now, am I saying he didn't ever sin? No, and he would be the first one to admit that. Do you notice as you go through this passage over and over, we, 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 our, our, ours, first person pronouns. Who's being included in there? Daniel. He's specifically including himself. Now, I want you to think about this. Did Daniel do the sins that Israel did? I would say no. He's not sacrificing babies to Molech. He's not forgetting the Sabbath year. He's not doing any of those things. Now, I'm going to ask you a very thought-provoking question, and I want to ask it to one of the most thought-provoking people in this class, Dawn, not you, Amalekai, Dawn. (laughs) Suggest to me two or three sins of our nation. Rebellion. Yes. Abortion. Failure in the pulpit. Okay. Lies in the pulpit. Now, for the most part, do you and your husband participate in those sins? No. You you look at some of these other sins. I've never committed uh, an abortion, been involved in an abortion. I've never been involved in homosexuality. But now, Don, are you an American? Has America sinned? Who does Daniel has has the responsibility for confessing these sins? He does. We do. I wanted you to see that because I think it's important. He includes himself in all of this. Now, if you look at the next part of this prayer, starting in verse 11, this is going to be the judgment that God predicted and has fallen on Israel because of their sin. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice, so the curse has been poured out upon us along with the oath which was written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words, which he has spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has been done, has there not been done anything like was done to Jerusalem? As it was written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to the truth, your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store for us and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. Now, did you notice at least once or twice in that recitation in his prayer he talks about curses does God curse what was his promise to people who are dealing with Israel I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you I want you to think about that for a second where if we wanted to find those curses would we look well Daniel told us didn't he in the law of Moses In Leviticus chapter 26, verse 14 to 16, it says this, But if you do not obey me and do not carry out all these commandments, if instead you reject my statutes, and if your soul abhors my ordinance so as not to carry out my commandments and so break my covenant, I will in turn do this to you. And then he lists all the things, five different cycles 
Again, when he uh, restates the law in Deuteronomy 28, 15, it says, but it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord, your God to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Did God ever say anything about that kind of thing in the old, in the new Testament? That was the Old Testament. How about the New Testament? Did he ever say anything about that? There's a passage starting in the first chapter of Romans. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Don't you just stop and think just a second. Is our nation a nation that is practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness. And are there men and women in our nation who suppress the truth in unrighteousness? They want to tell you that what right is wrong and what's wrong is right. And they, they lie and they lie with reckless abandon. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for the image of, in the form of a corruptible man, and of birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Now, do you remember our pastor when he taught us, Joseph said one of the greatest phrases in the Bible is two words. Do you remember those two words? But God. But God. I'm going to tell you one of the most fearsome and terrible phrases in the Bible is God gave them over to. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. So their bodies were dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the, than the creator who blessed them forever. And they still kept going. And so God gave them over again. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which was unnatural. And in the same way also, men abandoned their natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Now, it's interesting. Most of the people in here are old enough to make this, to think through their thoughts and their collective memories and come up with this. Does it seem strange, seem strange to me when I first read this, it would speak of women doing it first and then men. Because I think the history of it is this started with males. But when it came on our nation, what was the first thing you saw publicly? Women with women. There were a lot of men in our country who didn't object to that. And so God gave us over. And now the final. And for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. No, that's down verse 28. And just as, as they did not see it to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. And then he talks about that. <laughs> Do we see the acute similarities between us and Judah. Vera. I, I was talking about this with Mark the other day. That last verse in the first chapter of Romans, I 
knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death. They know they're worthy of death and still do it. I don't understand that. These sins they're committing are worthy of death. God's law says homosexuality should be punished by death. That knowing, they apparently know the judgment of God, and they still do it anyway. Exactly. Because they don't think God will do anything about it. Do, and, and, you're, and, and Damaris is right. He said he hasn't. Let me ask, get you to think about something. You remember we talked about last week. There came a time, and it probably was one or two people, who said, you know what? God has given me enough in this sixth year, I'm not only going to be, I'll make it through the seventh year and then the first year of the next cycle of this seven year fast where you have a Sabbath rest for the land on the seventh year. But if I was to plant this seven year, I'd be rich. Well, but God said, don't do this. And they did it anyway. And then comes the first year. Now what's going to happen? Is God going to punish me? And he didn't. And he didn't the first time they did it, or the second time they did it, or the third time they did it, or the fourth time they did it, all the way up to the 70th time. Then it fell. And then God gave them over to the Babylonians. In our nation, it has been suggested to me, Damaris, that one of the reasons God is not doing it is because we're being disobedient. What do I mean by that? When someone murders... Do we execute them? Rarely. When someone commits rape, do we execute them? Never. When someone commits homosexuality, do we execute them? Never. Do you not think we'd be a little more righteous if God's law was enforced that way? Yes, we would. But no, we're not doing that. That is cruel and unusual punishment. No, it's not, Don. Their consciences are seared such that when we get to the book of Revelation, they would not repent. Over and over again, just repeat, they would not repent. You're right. Let's move on. I want us to read the portion of the plea for God's grace. And now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself as it is this day. Notice how he refers back to the prior gifts of God. We have sinned. We have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, O oh God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O oh Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which was called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion, O oh Lord, Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and take action. For your sake, oh, my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. Can you not read that and hear the teardrops dropping from Daniel's cheeks? I can't. Daniel was asking for mercy, not help. Because he knew firsthand how deserving his people were of these curses. But consider this last verse for just a second, which is the object of Daniel's prayer. 
Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, oh, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. This verse capsulizes Daniel's prayer. He seeks to have God do what he promised he would do in Jeremiah 25 and 29. And he further seeks to have him do it without delay. So here's a fifth principle I see is to allow God's will or plan to be the direction for our prayers. Daniel asked God to do what he said he would do. Do we spend our time seeking to know God's will and ask him to do his will? Or instead, do we seek our prayer time or spend our prayer time seeking to have God do our will? Do we ever pray for something that's not his will? Well, I'm hoping it is. Why don't you find out? When in that day, recorded in Daniel chapter 9, did Daniel's prayer commence? Well, it commenced at the early morning, the time of the early morning sacrifice, where he would start his three times of prayer spoken of in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, as you look at it, he's praying all day. I want you to understand this. He prayed all day. He gets the answer at the time of the evening offering. Praying all day. Now, I want you to see this. and We don't have time to go over this really carefully now, but I want to mention it to you. When... Did God decide to make, give his answer to Daniel? When he started praying, how did he decide to do that, Damaris? What did he decide to do to get the information to Daniel as to the answer of his prayer? He sent an angel. That angel was Gabriel. But if he sent an angel when Daniel started to pray... How come Gabriel didn't get there until the time of the evening offering? Could he, is it because it was so far? Was it because he was dilly-dallying around or piddling? No. What was happening? He was in a fight, wasn't he? Do you think Satan had some idea of the message that Gabriel was to deliver? He wanted to do everything he could to prevent that message from being delivered. Do you think that Satan does not want us to pray in this way for our nation? Is he going to do everything he can to prevent it? Yes, he is. And I want you to to think about some things. And then I'm going to ask for a vote. A vote. Question first. Do we pray much in our nation, especially like the prayer of Daniel that we've been studying? There was a guy named Leonard Ravenhill. He was an English Christian evangelist and author. He focused his ministry on prayer and revival. He wrote this about our churches. We have organizers, but few agonizers. We have payers and players, but few prayers. We have singers, but no clingers. Pastors, but not enough wrestlers. Fears, but few tears. Plenty of fashion, but not enough passion. Plenty of interferers, but few intercessors. Lots of writers, but few fighters. And then he concluded this way. Failing here, we fail everywhere. Failing in prayer, we fail. Now, My original plan was to go on to the next part of of Daniel chapter 9 when Gabriel shows up next Sunday. But somebody and I had a long talk this week. And I want to suggest that we do something different. But I would like your commitment with mine. 
I'm going to suggest that we take a major part of the lesson time. There's a few things I want to talk about having to do with fervency of prayer. And spend the rest of the time next week. We'll have a microphone back there and one up here where people can come to. And we will confess the sins of our nation to God. I don't want anybody spending 15 minutes up here. But I want you thinking about what you think are the one or two most important sins that we as Americans need to confess. If you're willing to do that with me next week, will you hold up your hand? All right? We're at about 80%. So we're going to do that. If you're not in, then maybe you won't want to come next week. And that's okay. But now, question? I was just saying that it's kind of uh, astonishing some of the sins that we talked about here for our nation, our nation, the pagan nations like um, the Muslim countries in Russia, who just came out a couple of days ago made this statement, they are going crazy. He said, we are not going to allow uh, that kind of movement and influence and all these things. They don't allow it. But we as the Christian nation, yep. Now, I'm going to ask you for one other vote, and we're going to have to decide on this, and I want you to know that I'm going to let 80% vote this measure is going to fail. I want a serious supermajority on this one before we do this, but I'm going to ask that you join me Sunday morning, next Sunday morning, through the time of our class in fasting. Now, to do that, I will be, if you vote for this, we will have, I will instruct Bill not to bring donuts or anything to eat. Who would join me in that? Raise your hand. Well, I don't have 80%. I've got 99%. So that's what we're going to do. Now, if you want to, you can start your fast sooner. But I'm serious about this. I want you to pray this week God, what do you want me to confess? Do you think if you ask God that, he'll say, no, you got to figure that out on your own? I don't think so. He loves confession, admitting that it's wrong and asking God to help us repent. That's what confession is. And we're going to pray for our nation next week. And we're going to pray fervently. Just like Daniel did, just like Ezra did, just like Nehemiah did, just like Elijah did. So, let's close in a word of prayer tonight. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to come into your presence. Help us this week and especially next Sunday to humble ourselves before you. To come and pray to you. To seek your face. And to pray that our nation will turn from her wicked ways. But before we pray that, we need to be turning from ours individually. Be with us this week. Help us to pray for each other this week. Help us to be encouragers. Father, I ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus, who died for us, prayed fervently for us, rose again for us and who's coming back for us. Amen. Amen.